0: Section number sixteen of The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirby Bonds. The Devolutionist and the Emancipatrix by Homer Eon Flint. Part number one, Chapter sixteen. The blast! I am glad to see so many motion-picture men, said Mona thoughtfully. If it were not for photographs, I doubt if coming generations would believe this. And she turned her glasses again upon the scene. From the cockpit of Fort's newest ornithopter, about three hundred yards from the ground, and less than that distance from the spot, she could watch operations with exceptional ease. Fort agreed with her comment. Yes, to merely state that the mouth of that cannon is a hundred feet in diameter, and that it is set a mile and a half into the ground at an angle of thirty degrees, it's too much of a strain on the imagination. However, I understand they've taken flashlight pictures from the interior, such as will make it easier to believe. A huge compound crane was slowly swinging the first projectile into place over the muzzle of that colossal gun. Mona eyed the immense shell with curiosity. As I understand it, she said, the projectile is really a number of shells, telescoping, one within the other. I've forgotten how many there are. Fifty. The idea, of course, is that the original charge of powder within the cannon Will send the projectile at something like two miles a second. Upon reaching a certain point in space, another charge will be automatically fired in the base of the outermost shell. Thus, it will act as another cannon from which the remaining shells will be shot, and so on until the forty ninth shell has been blown to the rear. The remaining one will, by that time, have travelled far enough to get out of our gravitation into almas. What is the size of the fiftieth shell? Only two feet in diameter. a footnote. All dimensions are necessarily a matter of judgment, but they represent the opinion of an architect whose sense of proportion is presumably better than average, but of such length that it will hold five tons of explosive. It is expected to demolish a square mile of their roof. The great projectile was carefully lowered until its tip was flush with the volcano-like mouth of the cannon. The proceeding took a long time, and it was well toward the end of the work that Powart's handsome yacht swept into the space provided for it in the circle of spectators. By prearrangement, this space was next to that occupied by Mona and Fort as soon as the yacht had come to a stop its thrumming wings keeping it as steadily suspended in mid-air as any of the lighter craft round about powart himself stepped out upon the tiny bridge it was the signal for a great outburst of applause in which fort joined as heartily as any one you don't seem at all envious of mr powart commented mona watching the athlete curiously he looked around as though surprised and protested, On the contrary, I am really proud of his success. You see, it's this way, Mona. If he fails, then I fail too. And before she could ask what he meant, he raised his voice enough for the dictator to hear. Congratulations, Powart. Everything coming along all right? Powart gave Fort one of his piercing looks but showed no sign of irritation as he replied all reports satisfactory we shall have our little fireworks promptly on the second then to mona sorry i cannot invite you aboard my ship but i shall be so occupied with the ceremonial end of this you know that uh, of course instantly and i would be really in the way "'and I shouldn't care to be that to-day of all days.' "'And Van Emmon, through Powers' eyes, "'judged that the dictator stood mountain-high "'in her disrespect at that instant. "'Fort listened with the utmost indifference, "'seeming to take a boy's rapt interest "'in the spectacle below him "'rather than in the affair at his elbow.' He glanced at his watch and remarked, "'Less than half an hour now. I can hardly wait.' Mona eyed him speculatively. "'What did you mean just now about your success depending upon Mr. Powerts?' "'Just that,' he returned lightly. "'Why, if he fails, my little scheme is a miserable fiasco. I shan't be able to marry you at all—that is, unless you grant an extension.' Mona did not respond to his levity. I wish you'd be serious, she rebuked him. Just think what this affair means. He pretended to be thoughtful. Oh, to Alma you mean. Yes, indeed. The folks will be badly upset, I imagine, if the projectile actually reaches their roof. Why do you think it may not? Surprised? It's barely possible. The whole thing has been very scientifically calculated, of course. But the slightest flaw in the mathematics should cause a miss. Yes, the projectile may never reach its mark. It's something to be considered. In which case, returned Mona, evidently convinced that he was teasing, in which case your own scheme falls through? Oh, no, with the utmost calm, my scheme... Depends upon the cannon, not upon the projectile. Mona nearly lost her temper. I wish you wouldn't talk in riddles. But Fort was plainly unwilling to say anything further. Just then he changed the subject, directing Mona's glasses toward a point far to the rear where the blue wall of the contact loomed some twenty miles away. The spot had been chosen, of course, because there were fewer inhabitants in that locality than any other. The discharge of the gun would mean an immense volume of smoke and gas, likely to prove disagreeable for days. Nobody cared to live near the contact, because of its queer, sunless conditions. "'Almost time we were getting out of here,' said Fort, after another look at his watch. As he spoke, a warning whistle on Powert's yacht sounded shrilly, and with one accord, the surrounding horde of sightseers, all belonging to the leisure class, of course, began to back away from the spot. The workmen down below were already taking flight. A moment later, Powert, speaking for the benefit of a recording phonograph, began as follows. Precisely at the hour minute and second determined by the commission's mathematicians the projectile will be slid into the cannon the concussion will explode the powder in the breach this final act is to take place he glanced at his watch within two minutes by doing so the people of Hafen and hall through me their commander-in-chief do hereby deliberately take the offensive against alma he hesitated then went on with a fresh determination. Rather than permit them to prepare for the threatened invasion, then we thus proceed to bombard their roof in order to so harass them that they shall be made helpless against us. Mona turned her gaze from the dictator and took up her glasses. The great cannon was nearly a mile away from them now. Not a single aircraft was closer than forts and powerts which were still backing away. The blast was not a thing to be sneered at. Mona's hands shook with excitement. Powart's eyes were on his watch. The thing is beyond all human power to prevent now. The projectile will be released by clockwork. In fact, his voice rose his excitement finally getting the better of him. It is even now sliding. It is only a matter of seconds. The projectile is lubricated so as to slide easily. A breathless pause. Another look at the watch. Then, by this time, my friends, the projectile has reached. And even as the words quit his mouth, the cannon belched forth. End of chapter 16 Recording by Kirby Bonds.